0: The opinions and views expressed in Dead Men Do Tell Tales and all affiliated media are Jordan and Nicole's and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of their training program or others working in the field of medical legal death investigation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dead Men Do Tell Tales, a podcast about forensic pathology-related topics. I'm Nicole Krum. And I'm Jordan Taylor. And we're both pathology residents who are going into forensic pathology. And we are going to continue on our theme. We will let you guys guess what our theme is. And today, we are going to talk about fire-related
1: earth effects. Natural earth things having to do with fire. <laughs> so I was going to try to make a fire sound effect, <laughs> and then I realized that I would sound super dumb, so I didn't do it. Whoosh. <laughs> I have no idea. Here, we both sounded it dumb. It's fine. Indeed,
0: yeah. <laughs> windy is very important to fire, though.
1: True. Yes, very true.
0: So we're going to start by talking about wildfires. Um, so a wildfire is a wildland or a rural fire that's uncontrolled and is in an area of combustible vegetation. So these have a lot of different names. Brush fire in Australia. They call them bushfires. Desert fire, forest fire, grass fire, hill fire. It goes on and on and on. Um, and I also find it interesting that there's apparently a designation between a wildfire means an unplanned and unwanted fire versus a wild land fire includes prescribed fires and monitor fire responses. So, like, there's some wildfires that are wild land fires because they start and then they're controlled. Oh. But it's all, like... They do controlled burns during it. Oh, and Cole is very awake right now. I tried to tire her out. I failed. Like an uncontrolled wildfire would not be a wild land fire.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. I had not heard of that distinction. Yeah, I hadn't either. Hmm.
0: So wildfires started very soon after the appearance of terrestrial plants 420 million years ago. Cole really wants to eat Nicole's hair today. So that's fun. I mean, my hair is fantastic. It is amazing. It's true. Cole knows what's up. And... I found it interesting. One of the the lines on on Wikipedia is that it's an intrinsically flammable planet, because we have carbon-rich vegetation, we have seasonally dry climates, we have good atmospheric oxygen, and then these widespread lightning and volcanic ignitions. Hmm. So we're kind of set up for this.
1: But um, we're also seventy percent water.
0: <laughs> but the thirty percent bits that aren't water
1: are set are up fire. for fire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: water is coming soon. (laughs) So heat waves, droughts, climate variability like El Nino and regional weather patterns can increase the risk and alter the behavior of fires. And since the mid-1980s, earlier snowmelt and associated warming has been associated with an increase in the length and severity of the wildfire season. Mm -hmm. So global warming. (laughs) What ways can wildfires affect the environment it can affect local atmospheric pollution, release carbon dioxide. Emissions from the fire contain these tiny particulate matters, and those can affect cardiovascular and respiratory problems. You can increase the amount of ozone in the atmosphere. And one of the big ones, you increase these sooty particles, and that actually can increase the absorption of incoming solar radiation during the winter months. By 15%. Oh, that's a lot. So not only is the global warming, I'm just going to say it, affecting this, but this then kind of is a positive feedback loop oh. on it. Distinct humid, humid, human exposure and risk. So obviously where the fire reaches an area where people are, it's bad. Duh. Um, <laughs> it damages <laughs> property. It can damage food. It can damage people themselves it released a lot of hazardous chemicals so like if you imagine a burning building Mm -hmm. you can release asbestos and carbon monoxide and other things into the air the smoke itself is pretty dangerous obviously there's carbon dioxide and water vapor which is the most of it but you get carbon monoxide formaldehyde i saw acrolein polyaromatic hydrocarbons benzene and along with this you get these small particulates That are like 2.5 micrometers or smaller and those are the little tiny particulates that can get all the way down into we'll talk about this in a bit into your lungs and cause a lot of trouble the length severity duration and proximity affects how damaging that is and that's all goes into something called the air quality index Mm -hmm. which anybody that lives in california in the us is very aware of when we have our fire season every year there's always one that at least in the two of the past three years, yeah. these big fires have made the air in San Francisco so bad that people are walking around with N95 masks to try to you know, be able to breathe. The more at-risk groups include firefighters because they're more directly exposed to it, Yeah, residents of the area that are by the fire, and then fetal exposure. But it wasn't what I thought. So what it says, what it said actually is the fetal exposure was less from the actual smoke, oh. but more from the maternal stress oh. of the fire is leading to probably increased blood pressure, which can lead to transmission of appropriate things across the placenta so the baby isn't getting the appropriate nutrients in the appropriate way that they should be. Okay, interesting. And then the last thing I wanted to say on fire before, I'm sure Nicole has some fun things to add, <laughs> um, are the distinct health effects on people. So we I mentioned that there were these really tiny particles so 2.5 microns so the bigger a particle is the higher up it'll get trapped in the lungs obviously the lung has this tree that starts off kind of big and it breaks off smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller going down now the big particles kind of get trapped early on but these tiny little particles can get filter their way all the way down until your lungs and those can cause a lot of damage at this kind of end level yeah it causes a lot of long-term damage In kids, you can get a lot of asthma exacerbations. Mm -hmm. I know my cousin has pretty bad asthma when the fires were here. She definitely needed to take her inhaler more often. Um, Carbon monoxide exposure, just just bad. Just never good. Bumps out the oxygen and you can no longer oxygenate your blood and survive. And the last one that I didn't think about but I thought was interesting was psychiatric diseases and disorders. So BTP. PTSD, depression, anxieties, phobia, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. Your house was burned down, and you just had these very long-term effects of thinking about all the bad things that have now happened.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned that uh, a lot of these start naturally with lightning strikes or lava, but I read somewhere that as many as 90% of wildlife fires in the U.S. are actually caused by humans. Yes, that's true. campfires that are left unattended, debris burning down to power lines negligently discarded cigarettes. Yes. Intentional acts of arson. PG&E. Yep. Oh. Were you able to say that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, so then it's the remaining 10% that are started by lightning or lava. Oh, yeah. Sorry. that yeah. We were just talking about how, uh, how good the earth is at doing it on its own if we didn't yeah. help. <laughs> uh, and then I found this table that showed the top 10 states for wildfires ranked by number of fires Ooh. and by number of acres burned. And actually, Texas has more numbers of fires okay but california has w- way more numbers acres. of acres burned that makes sense yeah i can see that so we mentioned that being in california we are now strangers to wildfires i found uh this website that was talking about wildfires by year in the u.s so actually the 2019 wildfire season was not as active as 2018 really uh yeah from january 1st to november 22nd there were 46,706 wildfires. Separate ones? Yep, compared with only, <laughs> compared with 52,080 wildfires. So it was not that. In the same period. It's not of that much. It? Okay. Of like 4,000 most fires. Yeah, but like, yeah. No, but I wonder true. what counts as a fire,
0: right? Is it like a small little, like a campfire got out of control and you contained it mm. within a short period? Because like, this just seems like a lot of fires. That's true. I'm sure those aren't all, because I think of, I guess when I think of wildfire, I think of like, campfire right right yeah like sorry campfire it was a
1: big fire in california yeah broke out um, in uh, butte county yeah on november 8th and was the deadliest and most destructive fire on record in california but it's
0: not like a campfire it's just called camp camp, fire. Uh, campfire campfire yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: clarify that yeah yeah and the Kincaid fire which yeah. happened october 23rd 2019 uh, burned over seventy six thousand acres, and that was more than twice the size of the city of San Francisco. Yeah, which San Francisco's you... not that big of a city, though. True. But coming, coming, like... coming
0: from the East Coast, when it was like <laughs> real, like big, like that was a big city, or like LA is a big city. Okay. But yeah, no, it's a huge area.
1: Yeah, and this is in comparison to the Australia bushfire, which is insane. Which, yeah, currently happening still in Australia, which it's the worst fire season that the country the continent has seen in decades. Mm -hmm. And in total, more than 17.9 million acres have been burned across Australia's six states. So that is an area that's larger than the countries of Belgium and Denmark combined. It's insane. Yeah. And a lot of the
0: life lost in these fires are from people that can't get away, people that are exposed to smoke, and then a lot of the people that are trying to save and rescue people.
1: Mm -hmm. So the thing with fire deaths is that they can be somewhat difficult to investigate because a lot of important scene evidence is often destroyed as well as all or part of the body and fires can also cause a lot of artifact on autopsies. so these are things that were caused by the fire but didn't necessarily contribute to the death so we mentioned this in our head injury episode but you can see epidural hematomas as a consequence of fire and so that can be an artifact but it can make you question whether or not the person suffered a head injury prior to death. Mm -hmm. Um, Intense temperatures can also cause this thing called splitting, which is when the heated skin contracts and tears. And this can cause findings that are um, possible to be mistaken for uh, pre-death wounds. So that's another thing that can make a determination
0: of death a little bit more difficult. And the other big thing on autopsy is if say you found a body that was left behind from a fire and you don't know if they died in the fire Mm -hmm. or that, or they were consumed by the fire. Like let's say somebody was killed. They were left there and they put them in a fire, like a wildfire, for example, if you do an autopsy and the inside of their mouth is totally clean and their trachea is totally clean and going down all the way into their lungs, everything looks very pristine. You know that they were dead before they were in the fire, because if you are alive in a fire, you're going to breathe. And when you breathe, you're breathing in all this smoke, all this particulate and all this kind of stuff. So the key is when you look, it's this distinct area in the trachea. And if you don't see any smoke below that line, mm-hmm. they weren't alive in the fire. You can sometimes see it if the mouth is open in the mouth. But if it doesn't get down the windpipe, to speak in layman's terms, you know that they weren't breathing while they were in the fire. Yeah, So that's kind of... It, it, it applies to things besides just wildfires, but it's kind of one of the tried and true forensic pathology ways to tell did they get set on fire before they died or is that how they died
1: yep yeah yeah and that's one of the most important things to determine the only other thing i had you mentioned the vulnerable groups when it comes to fire death this paper that i was looking at said that the very young and old are also particularly vulnerable um, and that is because of the limited understanding of the dangers of fire that either group might have. So, like in the elderly, they might have some sort of cognitive uh, impairment that makes it so that they don't realize they should flee. And then young children actually often try to hide from a fire rather oh, than no, leaving that's the not going to work, buddy. Yeah, it's not going to work. So, so if there is
0: a fire listen to the what everybody's saying if they're you're told to evacuate these things can move pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really talk about that too much, but they can move pretty quick so if you're told to evacuate get what you need and just get out of there because they're they could be very deadly.
1: Yep. So the other big thing that we both thought of when we thought fire and earth was volcanoes. Yes. <laughs> so major- boom fire. Boom fire. <laughs> Yeah, big, big lava liquid fire. Um.
0: <laughs> when I was at MIT, we had this pizza night thing. And we were like, you know, one of the guys that I live with was really good at making bread and he would make pizza dough. And one time, I don't know why, we decided to make um, a volcano out of the pizza dough and then put like the baking soda and vinegar oh. in it. And because there was also like pizza sauce. It yeah. was like the lava and we made little um, pizza dough volcanoes. That's so it cute. Was, it was a lot
1: of fun. There's this one Japanese restaurant. It was like a hibachi place where they cook in front of you on the table that we used to go to a lot when I was growing up. And the chefs would make a volcano out of the onion. Yes, yes. I've seen that. Yeah, I yeah. I love that so much. And that onion is delicious. It is delicious. Caramelized onion. Yes, perfect. Anyway, burned by fire. Back to volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> Not food volcanoes. Um, Oh, maybe that's what we should order, food volcanoes. Yes. Is there? That's probably not. (laughs) There is a restaurant called Volcano. I think it's sushi. (laughs) Anyway.
0: (laughs) So a volcano is a rupture in the crust of a planetary mass object. I like to use that term because you remember the volcanoes happen not just on Earth. All kinds of planets have volcanoes. Um, That allows hot lava, volcanic ash, and gases to escape from a magma chamber below the surface. (laughs) You can find where tectonic plates diverge or converge. So like the mid-Atlantic Ridge is where they're diverging. So the Atlantic Ocean is getting bigger. The Pacific Ring of Fire is where they're converging. So it's very slowly getting smaller. So those are two of the more common places where you see volcanoes. And then there's a lot of different kinds of volcanoes. But the ones that we generally associate with big boom and loss of life are the stratovolcanoes. And those are the ones that are taller and more conical and they compo- they're composed of lava flows and other things that eject out. And they kind of alternate in layers where you get the strato, the stratum, volcano.
1: Makes
0: sense. And these are the ones that pose their biggest risk because they get this big pressure buildup. And then these fissure vents and monogenetic volcanic fields have more powerful eruptions because they're under extension. And then they're also steeper and the slopes are looser. So they can send out chunks of explosive rock called volcanic bombs off of them. Because of the way they're constructed. So vol- stratovolcanoes are the ones that we associate with
1: a big volcanic explosion. Yeah. So there are over 1,500 active volcanoes in 86 countries worldwide. And active means that they have done something in the last 10,000 years.
0: <laughs> Interesting. I was reading part of one of the articles. was talking about how like there's varying definition of active. Because oh. some places have active. I think it was like in the past two hundred years. It was like a much shorter amount of time. Okay. This but, paper where yeah. I got my information
1: okay. classified active as within the last ten thousand. That's a long time. Unfathomable. Okay. Yes. So apparently over twenty nine million people worldwide live within just six point two miles of active volcanoes.
0: After looking at some of the these horrible deaths that happen from volcanoes, yeah. I'm not surprised how much of the population it is.
1: Yeah, I guess I just didn't realize one that there were so many and two yeah. that people lived so close yeah. to them. And then, volcanic eruptions are measured on this explosivity index oh, called yeah, the volcanic. volcanic Explosivity Index. But I just wanted to mention it because most eruptions are low on this spectrum, yes. and so yeah. they're not as dangerous. When we yes. think of like Dante's Peak, that's a stratovolcano. Yeah, yeah. Most ex- most volcanoes yes. are not like that. Yes. yes. Since 1500 AD, there have been over 200,000 fatalities recorded.
0: Interesting. I saw even in the past 2000 sorry, even in the past 200 years there have been more than 200,000 deaths. So even more recently than that. Hmm. Maybe the
1: majority of these fatalities were in recent probably. Times. Yeah. Yeah, the majority of the deaths have taken place in Southeast and East Asia about yes. 50%. Indonesia. Don't go to Indonesia. That's what I've learned. If you don't want to die by volcano. Yes.
0: Okay. They were almost like all Indonesia.
1: (laughs) That's, yeah. The two worst. The number of fatalities decreases with distance from the volcano. So about a third of deaths are recorded within five kilometers of a volcano. It makes sense. Um, And this paper that I was looking at listed the fatal causes. And there were so many excellent new vocab words. Like there was speleological Okay. Um, so <laughs> oh, we learned that word last time. Yes. The, the study of caves. Um, so different ways that volcanoes can kill you. There's these things called pyroclastic density currents. So these are hot, typically greater than 800 degrees Celsius, chaotic mixtures of rock, fragments, gas, and ash that travel rapidly away from a volcanic vent. I also and... heard them called pyroclastic flows. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they move too quickly for people to escape, and death is almost certain. So, if you get caught in one of these, the, the dead to injured ratio within these currents is 230 to 1. So, those are your chances of Sounds right. coming away uninjured. Um, another cause of death when volcanic eruptions happen are tsunamis, yes. which we'll get into more in a later episode. Yes. There are these things called lahars, mm-hmm. and these are volcanic mud flows. Yep. And death and injury typically result from trauma or asphyxiation, so drowning in these volcanic mud flows. And they can be hot enough to cause burns. Yes. And about 26% of fatalities related to volcanoes, at least in this study, were due to these lahars. Yeah, that's about the same umbrella. Yeah. Um, Oh, and 28% were due to the pyroclastic density currents. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then another 26% to tsunamis. And then there's these things called tephras. And okay. this is any type and size of rock fragment that is forcibly ejected from the volcano mm-hmm. and travels an yep. airborne, pa- air- airborne, airborne path during an eruption. Those are those volcanic bombs that yeah. I mentioned earlier. It includes ash, bombs, and scoria. Mm-hmm. Um, and deaths typically occur in areas closer to the volcano, and mm-hmm. it can be due to roof collapse, asphyxiation, and burial. Although they can also cause fatalities at great distance. And so this is specifically in regarding ash. So when ash is spewed and goes a great distance, it can cause exacerbation of existing heart or lung conditions and cause deaths. And then there are ballistics. And these are large ejected projectiles of a few centimeter size or above. Um, And they're typically restricted to within the first five kilometers of the volcanic vent. Um, And death and injuries are usually due to trauma. Um, and less than one percent of fatalities are due to ballistics. And then death can also be caused by avalanches, which usually also then generate tsunamis. Death can be caused by lava flows. Lava normally advances really slowly, allowing escape, but you can have sudden outbursts of fluid lavas that can cause loss of life. Gases. So various gases are emitted uh, from volcanoes during or between eruptions. So gas accounts for, like, 1% of fatalities as well. And then lightning is also. Yep. Volcanic lightning is a common feature of ash clouds, um, which I thought was interesting. I didn't realize that ash clouds could cause lightning, and it's something about the, like, little particles yes. hitting each other. It was just like clouds, like any of the small little particles that are. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there are a bunch of indirect causes of death related yes. to volcanoes. So, like, during evacuation... People are driving crazy, so that can be a cause of death. Heart attacks due to the stress and other cascading hazards, such as famine and disease, that Mm -hmm. happen after large disasters. It's interesting because in the study that I looked at, that was like the first and
0: largest cause. It was like 30% it attributed to famine and epidemic disease. Yeah, they... So it was way, way big. But again, different, looking at different things. Yeah,
1: they were looking at direct deaths. They discounted uh, all of the indirect deaths. But yeah, if you count... For everything, like
0: 30% of it is from these other long, more long term effects from yeah. the volcanoes. Yeah.
1: And we think of these deaths happening during the actual eruption, but fatal incidents are also common during periods of quiescence. So when the volcano is kind of resting, <laughs> and those are usually due to lahars, those mudslides, um, gas emissions, and indirect accidents. So people like falling into the volcano. So, like, The Hobbit. Right. (laughs) Yes. Um, And then they also looked at victim characteristics. Okay. So, mostly it's residents that make up the largest number of fatalities, um, but after residents, tourists make up a large percentage, um, and ballistics are the most common fatal cause in tourists. And then scientists also make up a fair number. Do you think that's because of just proximity? Tourists, well, both of them. Yeah, yes, I think it's due to proximity. Yeah, Yeah.
0: because you said before that they were like the ballistic ones were almost all people that are super close. Right. Yes. Exactly. So it makes sense that it's all the people that are poking around. Yep. Don't poke around volcanoes, people.
1: No, don't do it.
0: Yeah. The only thing I wanted to add was I looked up this one. I remember to look up the most deadly volcanoes. Mm. So in 1815, in Tambora in Indonesia. There was this volcano that led to, the numbers are kind of big, again, this is 1815, 71,000 to over 250,000 deaths. And a lot of that has to do with once this volcano exploded, there were famines all across the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. And so it led to this like widespread long-term deaths from this giant explosion. Krakatau in Indonesia in 1883 caused over 36,000 deaths um and then the next one was the more recent one of the worst ones was 1985 nevado del ruiz in colombia was 23,000 deaths so in 1983 there's still a volcano that caused 23,000 deaths wow which is a huge number yeah um and then the, the i get found, kind of found this for um some of our um earthquake gods um but i did see a little bit on some traditional beliefs associated with volcanoes. Not quite as fun as earthquake gods, but um, Vulcan was the god of fire in Roman mythology, which is where volcano comes from. Oh yeah, which, which makes sense. Um, the Greeks said that the volcanoes had a power that could only be explained by gods. I didn't see who the distinct god was. This one I found was interesting. In the 16th and 17th centuries, there was a German astronomer named Johannes Kepler who believed that volcanoes were the ducks for the Earth's tears. <laughs> so it was like crying fire. Oh, wow. And then... I uh, wish I was that metal. <laughs> sure. So that would make a really good um, CD cover. Yeah. Um, and then Jesuit, last name Kircher, who was in the early to mid-1600s, he, vis- he witnessed the eruptions of Mount Etna and Stromboli, and then he visited the crater of Vesuvius, and he published this view of Earth as having this central fire that's, like, as a bunch of fires that are connected to numerous other fires that are caused by the burning of sulfur, bitumen, and coal throughout. So it's kind of like this central fire with a lot of outlets. Oh. Um, which is not untrue. But it was just interesting that, like, we're kind of starting to get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So vulca- Volcano comes from Vulcan, which was one of the original Roman gods.
1: Uh, My story is not, like, a particular death it's just this thing I've heard about a lot because you know I think about death a lot <laughs> okay. unsurprisingly but not murder. just <laughs> yeah, murder but not just individual death I think a lot about the apocalypse because I really <laughs> enjoy reading like dystopian fiction post-apocalyptic novels okay okay I'm on so, board. Let's go. I spend an unhealthy amount of time contemplating the end of the human race. So <laughs> this thing that I've heard about over and over again is the Yellowstone Super Volcano. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to, I took this as an opportunity oh. to read more about it.
0: Yeah. Super volcanoes is one of the
1: things I looked at and that's, those are like the stuff they're like, well, oh, maybe the dinosaurs died from this. Right. Yes. So I found this really cool Vox article that was talking about all about the Yellowstone Supervolcano. Ooh, fun. um, Which, quote, has been an endless source of apocalyptic fascination. True story. So what is the Yellowstone Supervolcano? So beneath Yellowstone National Park, there's this huge reservoir of hot magma five miles deep. um, And it is responsible for many of the park's famous geysers Mm -hmm. and hot springs. And as the magma rises up and cools, the ground above periodically rises and falls. So on rare occasions throughout history, this magma chamber has erupted, and the majority of those eruptions have been smaller lava flows, but Yellowstone gets so much attention because there's this remote possibility of a catastrophic super eruption. And this is where you're
0: saying, I don't understand how so many people live so close to volcanoes, but then this happens, and this is why
1: people live so close to volcanoes. Because they don't realize it's... Exactly, because it lays dormant for so long. Right. Um, So a super eruption is anything that measures eight or more on that volcano explosivity index. And Yellowstone has had three of these really massive eruptions in its history. Okay. One was 2.1 million years ago. Another was 1.3 million years ago. And the most recent was 664,000 years ago. So what
0: you're saying is we might miss it by 100,000 years or so.
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) this article was actually pretty reassuring. It seems like the chances of it actually erupting are fairly low. So I was glad that I looked into it. Yeah, knock on wood. Yes, exactly. Anyway, so this last explosion that happened 664,000 years ago was the Yellowstone Lava Creek eruption and it, it ejected so much material that it left a 34 by 50 mile depression in the ground. It's impressive. And so that's what we see today as the Yellowstone caldera. Huh. So, Yellowstone is hardly the only supervolcano out there. There are at least 47 super eruptions that have happened in Earth's history, and the most recent actually occurred in New Zealand um at Lake Taupo some 26,000 years ago. Only 26,000 years? Ago. Yeah, something like that. So they talk a little bit about what the Yellowstone eruption might look like. So if there was a super eruption, the first thing we would see is this huge increase in seismic activity across the park. Uh And it would last for weeks or months. So we would have kind of a good warning that this is happening. And then the lava flows themselves would actually be fairly contained um, within a small radius of the park. How about far do we need to? Forty evacuate. miles or so. Well, okay. So the lava flows would only be within forty miles or Which so. Just still a long, big area. True, but the main damage would come from the volcanic ash. Um, they would eject so much ash that it would bury the northern rockies in three feet of ash and it would devastate <laughs> large parts of wyoming idaho colorado and montana and utah the midwest would get Smell. a few inches of ash and both coasts would get even smaller amounts and the exact distribution would depend on the time of year and the weather patterns gotcha um, but it would destroy farms clog roadways cause a lot of respiratory problems mm-hmm. block sewers um, and even short out transformers. And air travel would have to shut down across most of northern America. Okay. It would also have major effects on climate change because of all of yep. the particulates that are in the air.
0: Nuclear winter.
1: So then, yikes. Terrifying. What Terrifying. are the odds of this actually happening? Actually very, very low. Yes. So it's, it's actually possible that Yellowstone might never erupt again. Um, and the U.S. Geological Survey notes that if you, like, calculate a probability based on the times that it has erupted, there's a 0.00014% chance that it will erupt again. Well, that it will erupt any given year. Knocking on all the wood. Yes. And apparently that's lower than the odds of getting hit by a civilization-destroying asteroid. I don't know how they calculated this, but those that's More apparently... power to them. Statistics is... Right. Yeah. Um, so... I was reassured by reading this article. I mean, if it happens, it'll be devastating, but yes, yes, it will. unlikely to happen. But also, we currently live far enough away that
0: we're we, okay.
1: We would be mildly affected by ash, <laughs> depending on the, the weather. Um, mostly, would be affected by the climate change. <laughs> uh, not that we're not already affected by the climate change, right? But the but, worsening climate. Yes.
0: Change. Yes. Yeah. Craziness. Yeah. Um, apparently, in seventy thousand years ago. There was an eruption on Indonesia that caused a volcanic winter, which is pretty similar to what you're describing.
1: Yeah, Um, and that eruption. Yeah, and
0: that caused a population bottleneck, which is one of those things that they always talk about in like the, are there life forms on other planets? Mm. Are there intelligent life forms on other planets? Like, have they survived the same population bottlenecks that we've been able to survive? And that would count as one of the population bottlenecks.
1: Yeah, this one said that nearly wiped out the human race.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep.
1: Six that. to ten year global winter. That sounds awful. You hate winter, so <laughs> you would
0: die. I would be in, I would be in, well, not, I was gonna say heaven. But
1: yeah, no. Yeah.
0: So instead of a uh, theoretical explosion in Yellowstone, I decided that I wanted to talk about one of the more famous and well known volcanic explosions ever, slash, I'm sure this is gonna lead me to getting a lot of people correcting me for all the things that I'm saying wrong. Mm. Um, but I'm going to talk about Pompeii. So, Pompeii was this ancient Roman city near Naples in Italy. The city was actually built 40 meters above sea level on a lava plateau. Oh. So, not necessarily.
1: No, excellent design. Yep. That's
0: good. <laughs> on the coast, which was created by earlier eruptions of Mount Vesuvius. Okay. Um, and it was originally on the coastline, but now that same coastline is about 100 meters away. So, there's been more. Um... Oh, today. It's a... Yes. Oh. Yeah. Pompeii itself covered about 170 acres and was home to 11 to 15,000 people. By the first century AD, Pompeii was one of only a number of towns near the base of the volcano, along with this other town called Herculaneum, which is also relevant to the story.
1: Hercules, Hercules. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> so Nicole mentioned in Yellowstone that they would get a forewarning of some minor earthquakes and some baby lava flows. Maybe not baby, so baby, but they would have some warning. Yeah. So about 17 years before Mount Vesuvius erupted in the famous explosion in 79 AD, in 62 AD, there was a really powerful, that foreshadowed the explosion. So Mount Vesuvius itself is a stratovolcano, which we talked about is the one that is more likely to cause these kind of explosions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it still exists in modern Italy. Um, and it, like I said, it erupted in 79 AD. So it started at 1 PM. There's a debate over whether this happened in August or October. They think that, so we'll talk about Pliny, the younger and elder. Pliny had said that it was in August, but due to some things that they found, they think it was actually a little bit later. So they surmised that it happened in October of 79 AD. Oh. They do not have a distinct date. So i surprised there. <laughs> it's a few years ago. <clears throat> but they said it started around 1 p.m. I don't know how they know exactly when it started, but they yeah. don't know the date. <laughs> um, but a lot of this is observation from Pliny the Younger, and this explosion lasted for two days. It ejected clouds of stone, ash, gas, up to a height of 33 kilometers or 21 miles. It spewed molten rock, pulverized plummet pl- pumice, and ultimately released... 100,000 times the thermal energy released by the Hiroshima-Nagasaki bombings. Wait, what? 100,000? 100, 100, 100,000 times the thermal energy released by the Hiroshima-Nagasaki bombings. Whoa. Yeah. It's one of those things that humans can create some horrible things, but Mother Nature has
1: something to say. Tops us all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, as I said, this was witnessed by Pliny the Younger and Elder. Pliny the Younger is Pliny the Elder's nephew, oh. not father, son, their nephew, uncle. And Pliny was in Massenum, which is on the other side of the Bay of Naples, which is about 18 miles away. Okay. Um, they surmised that after this massive explosion up that either that night or early the next day these pyroclastic flows started which are the Mm -hmm. movement of the hot air and hot rock Mm -hmm. very quickly and very hot that you really can't survive but from where the survivors were they just kind of saw these lights on the mountain that they thought were fires oh um and people started fleeing as far away as misenum which is you know 18 miles away mm-hmm. so they saw it from far off and they just kind of ran and as we said these flows were rapid moving dense really hot they destroyed wholly or partially destroyed structures in their path incinerated or suffocated the remaining population altered the landscape and the coastline just destroyed everything and that weird noise that you're yeah. hearing is cold destroying cardboard box Yep. Yeah. so i'm sorry she does not like me talking about Pompeii apparently (laughs) Um, also throughout this there were these continued light tremors there was also a mild tsunami across the Bay of Naples Mm. from this explosion but by the evening of the second day it was over leaving only a light haze in the atmosphere through which the sun shone weakly
1: wow that's so poetic so
0: poetic thank you Wikipedia (laughs) the poet of my heart (laughs) so Pliny the Younger was 17 at the time which I didn't... Seventeen. Seventeen. But he wrote to a historian named Tacitus 25 years after the event. So a lot of this... I think that's a lot of the other issue with documenting this (laughs) (laughs) whole... So he wrote to Tacitus and said, Broad sheets of flame were lighting up many parts of Vesuvius. Their light and brightness were the more vivid for the darkness of the night. It was daylight now elsewhere in the world, but there the darkness was darker and thicker than any night. It's from all the ash that was coming down. Man, I did not write like that when I was 17. Well, this was 25 years after the event. Yeah, right. So he was now 25 plus 17. Math. (laughs) 42. Um, (laughs) So Pliny the Elder, again, Pliny the Younger's uncle, was the command of the Roman fleet at Messenum. Which is, again, this town is 18 miles away. And he, one, wanted to investigate. And two, got a message asking for a rescue, a rescue from a friend, Rectina, who was living on the coast near the foot of the volcano. So this was an interesting story that I had no idea about. Apparently, they started going towards the fire. Like sailing towards the fire, Yeah. and they found thick showers of hot cinders, lumps of pumice, pieces of rock. Not too surprisingly, mm-hmm. and many, in turn, including the helmsman, wanted to turn back. But Pliny apparently said, "Fortune favors the brave," and continued on to this town called Stabia, which is about two and a half miles from Pompeii.
1: Oh, is that? Has that quote been bastardized to "Fortune favors the bold"? Is Maybe that where but they he come said from? "fortune." I don't know. Oh, huh.
0: it could be, but he also could have. Could have been around for a long time. Yeah. So apparently they made it to Stabia, and then they stayed overnight. But there was this hot... So they had sailed across the bay, right? And apparently they were looking to maybe leave, but there was this hot wind coming in towards them, so they couldn't actually leave on their sailing boats because wind. No, Cole, that's not yours. So the next morning, there was apparently, like, rock and whatnot that was slowly blocking their way, so they tried to go back to shore to get out again but there was even more wind and as they got towards the boat pliny sat down on this sail that they laid out for him pliny the elder but he wasn't able to get back up again so there was a debate as to whether he was left for dead that he collapsed and died or they put him out of his misery to avoid the pain of incineration from the fire
1: whoa so
0: I was reading this and I was like, wait, Pliny the Elder died in the fires of Pompeii? Yeah. And yeah, Pliny the Elder died because of Pompeii. Whoa. Um, So Pliny the Younger suggested it was due to to a reaction from his weak lungs to the cloud of poisonous sulfuric gas. Yeah. They also thought maybe asthma. Wow. But they were apparently like ten miles from the vent and nobody else in the crew was really that affected mm-hmm. lung wise. Yeah. And so they also say it may have been because he was corpulent and he died of a stroke or heart attack. Yeah, okay. Um, and the body was found the next day with no apparent injury after the plume dispersed. Yeah. So things that I learned was that the Pliny brothers were heavily involved in Pompeii and then Pliny the elder died around from Pompeii. Yeah. Um, so, things that a lot of people probably know is they, when they eventually found this city, they found thousand, they found over a thousand casts made from impression of bodies and ash. So in total, they ended up finding one thousand and forty four casts mm-hmm. that were made by the impressions of bodies, along with scattered bones of about a hundred others. Overall, they estimate that over thirteen thousand people died. Including, of course, this is including things from famine and disease Mm -hmm. and other associations beyond the direct fire themselves. Um, So, originally, everybody thought that these people died from suffocation from the ash. Like, the ash rained down, they got caught, and they died because they found all these casts Mm -hmm. of these bodies. And they looked like they were, like, in agony and, like, understandably. Um, But... There has been some recent studies, and the Smithsonian has a really good article on this. That essentially it was these pyroclastic flows yeah. that caused the vast majority of these deaths. Mm-hmm. So the in this event, they think that the pyroclastic flows were about two hundred and fifty degrees Celsius, or about four hundred and eighty degrees Fahrenheit, um, and they fl- they flowed up to a distance of ten kilometers or six miles from this volcano. Okay, and a lot of these were actually found from boat houses in Herculaneum, which was closer to the actual Mount Vesuvius itself, and they looked at um, 100 samples of bones and skulls using special types of spectrometry to detect low levels of mineral, and they found high levels of iron in a lot of this bone. So why does that matter? High levels of iron is found when it's exposed to high heat or when blood is boiled away. Whoa. So essentially they were exposed to such high heat that fast that their blood literally boiled away.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: The skulls also showed signs showed signs that they were subjected to high heat, including skull caps that had been exploded outward with residue on them. Ugh. 400 to 900 degree heat boiled the fluids in the head which caused these skulls to explode and turn their brain into ash instantly. Oh my. So this sounds horrible. And like something out of sci-fi. But suffocation is a really tough death. But these would be instantaneous. So better. So for all that it is horrible, at least these people didn't really suffer from the pyroclastic flows. Like they're dead pretty quick. Right. Um, In Herculaneum, they found 332 bodies. Back to um, Pompeii. 38% of the bodies were found in ashfall deposits which were mostly inside buildings so they think that about 38% died from roof collapse Um, and what's also interesting is of course this was in 79 AD nowadays and by even nowadays I mean in the last 400 years only about 4% of victims from volcanoes have been from ash deposits and that kind of thing like so they were a little bit of preparation and also so it's it's been a big shift to how people died okay. in the past couple centuries. And then the remaining 62% is from the pyroclastic surge deposits. And interestingly, the fourth pyroclastic surge was the first to reach Pompeii. Oh. So the first handful didn't reach Pompeii, but it wasn't until the fourth surge, and I'm sure people are fleeing and whatnot by this time, Hopefully. that it actually got to Pompeii. And those temperatures in Pompeii, they say, were around 300 degrees Celsius or 572 degrees Fahrenheit. Nope. So volcanologist Giuseppe Mastro Lorenzo said that it was enough to kill hundreds of people in a matter of seconds and that the contorted postures aren't the effect of long agony, but of cadaveric spasm, a consequence of heat shock on the corpses. Mm. He said that the organs and blood were vaporized, which makes sense for the iron deposits, And apparently one victim's brain was turned into glass by the high temperatures. What? Yeah. I I want to to see see a picture. (laughs) Also, interestingly, they talked about how, I mean, Mount Vesuvius is still a volcano. It's still an active volcano that's doing things. People always are like, oh, no, it was just Pompeii. But it erupted on April 5th, 1906. Oh. And it killed more than 100 people, devastating Naples and the surrounding communes. Oh, wow apparently naples was supposed to be hosting the olympics in 1908 and they had to change because you know less than two years beforehand their volcano exploded again Yeah, and now subsequently on june 5th 1955 the area on vesuvius was officially declared a national park huh. and you can walk to the summit and you can drive up to within 200 meters vertically of the summit but mm. then from where it's you can drive up. There's apparently this spiral road that brings you up to the summit. Yeah. So you can walk up there, but it exploded a hundred years ago. BT dubs.
1: <laughs> Did they say <laughs> anything about whether or not they anticipate it having another I explosion? didn't read anything about it, but it is still an active volcano. Yeah. So it will, it will
0: likely explode again. I mean, a lot like Mount St. Helens. Like, you never know. Yeah. So yeah, the earth
1: is scary, guys. <laughs> it's really just out to get us. Slowly but surely. I mean, for all the things we do to it, I don't. That's it's fair. understandable. We're not helping our case. No. Social means. Social means. So if you like this and all or any of our <laughs> other episodes, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we get boosted up on the various podcasting platforms and other people learn about us.
0: You can visit our website at deadmendutelpodcast.com where we link to all of our sources and our episode guide. On Twitter, we're at Dead Men Do. On Insta, we're at The Dead Tell Tales. And we have a Facebook page, Dead Men Do Tell Tales Podcast. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, you can send us an email through the website or directly to the at
1: gmail.com. And our opening music is introducing the pre-roll by Lee Rosevear, who you can find on SoundCloud. Yay. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Day. Have a great day.
0: Or Stop wherever it. you're listening to it. Stopping. <laughs>